And welcome to Grow With Purpose in 2021. I'm so excited to get started today. Um, just to give you a quick introduction to the session. In this event, we are exploring the opportunities that come with sustainability um, in terms of tapping into the market demand that has been growing and growing over 2020 and into 2021, um, looking at the consumer demand for ethical and sustainable products and the amount of interest in this space and increasing financing, uh, employee interest and stakeholder demand for sustainability. So um, today we're focusing mostly on the why. So we're hearing about that consumer demand and hearing about corporate um, businesses and why they're so focused in this space, why financing um, is so focused in sustainability and environmental and social issues as well. So Pete Yao joined Thank You in 2012 and is now the Chief Impact Officer and Director of the Thank You Charitable Trust. Pete makes sure that funding raised through Thank You's products is directed to the right projects, i.e. Um, identifying impactful change makers who are creating systemic and sustainable outcomes for vulnerable and low income communities around the world. Um, he also looks at the holistic impact of Thank You's own business, including establishing responsible business goals for the business and working with the team to minimize the negative impacts of operating in the fast moving consumable, uh, consumable goods industry. So um, I'd like to, I'm gonna ask Pete a series of questions basically today as that's how the format's going to work. So Pete, uh, can you just let us know for anyone who isn't familiar with Thank You, what was the motivation behind Thank You's founding and how does the model work? Great. Hey, thanks, Sarah. And firstly, um, just thank you on behalf of everyone at Thank You on, on the opportunity to speak and present for the next few moments. And um, yeah, good day to everyone that's also watching post this this event as well. And, and good day to everyone here in the room that's live. Um, I think for us at Thank You, we started off with actually not wanting to become a business. We had this uh, initial thought of just going, gosh, we, we were millennials, you know, 18 year olds, just out of a high school. And we had a bad rap. I was talking about the generation we had a bad rap of, you know, waving our hands around and demanding social change without actually getting our hands stuck into the work. Um, so for us, we were deeply moved by uh, extreme poverty. And at the moment, 736 million people live on less than $1.90 a day. Uh, for us, we didn't want to re reinvent the wheel. Uh, we knew there were great partners doing amazing work. We didn't want to implement projects because we went local. We didn't understand the issues. So we thought, hey, what's actually within our hands? And it was this, this thinking and this thought of going, there's a lot of money um, within the FMCG, fast moving consumer good industry that's um, going and lining the shares of just your, your, your top 1%, I would say, of the world. What happens if we create a redistribution model? that actually funds these amazing impactful change makers, tackling uh, people living $1.90 a day and the systemic issues they raise and using and, and creating a vehicle almost to transfer that wealth into this place. And so there, there was born the uh, thank you idea. We're currently uh, within uh, Australia and New Zealand. We are the fourth largest personal care uh, brand in Australia at the moment. Um, and we can talk a bit more about where we're at commercially. But um, yeah, just, just to explain a bit about our, our business, we 
we owe, we're owned 100% by the Thank You Charitable Trust, which means we have no other shareholders. Um, and every quarter, uh, just like a normal business would, we uh, would post off profits and distribute the dividends into our charitable trust. Um, so that's our unique business model. Um, and we can dive into a bit more about sort of what we do with our, with our uh, profits and dividends, also how business is run a bit later on, but I'll, I'll pause there. Cool, perfect. Thanks, Pete. Um, you say that you're the fourth largest uh, skincare company in Australia, which is absolutely amazing for what is still just barely into a medium-sized business, just beyond a small <laughs> yeah. business now. Um, and I seriously, I see a bottle of thank you hand wash in every inner city bar <laughs> or restaurant these days. So would you say that that social mission and purpose has been key to thank you success? Yeah, and um, it's an interesting question as well. Uh, what, what is thank you success? So going back to the foundation of it, we would say it's actually getting money into the hands of people serving uh, vulnerable and low-income communities. Uh, so for us, just having a business model like this is definitely success because we've been able to raise and give over $17 million away over the last 12, uh, 12 years of operation. Um, and then from a commercial perspective as well, we definitely don't see as, um, as you know, this is our, our success story just yet. Uh, there's a lot of work to do, but... Um, I think during the journey, as per a lot of these, um, like anyone that's started a business uh, or has a business that they're leading at the moment would know this. Uh, we, we never feel like we've actually got to the place that we want it to get to uh, just for the moment, but celebrating the victories, that's been one of the big things that we keep having to remind ourselves. So we are the fourth largest uh, personal care brand. Uh, we contribute, I think in the last two years, the number one dollar growth within that personal care industry in grocery, which is um, really, really great. And I think a couple, couple more stats on uh, where we're at. Um, something we, we actually got told is this this stat called Solus. And we're like, what is that? And a Solus is actually the percentage of consumers that don't buy any other product. And we are the highest solar shopper. We have this highest solar shopper in all personal care. And um, that's at the moment, 24% of um, shoppers that don't buy any other hand wash, uh, which beats a lot of the competitors as well. Um, and we have uh, the highest loyalty rates. And I, I share this um, because back to your, your, your question, we, we do not think we'll be able to get those solos rates, those loyalty rates uh, without consumer buying and consumer engagement with what we do. And um, like a lot of people can make really great product. We, we, we try and do that every single day. A lot of people can you know, kind of match the price point that consumers want and engage with. But ultimately for us, um, the solus rates, the loyalty rates um, can only come up because consumers really buy into sort of the vision, the ethos, the values of a company. Um, and so we, yeah, we definitely think that this commercial journey that we're on and success in part is because of our, um, our social uh, mission and values. Mm, amazing. Um, and you also mentioned that you recently won a significant contract with uh, the Victorian government, was it? Uh, no, it was uh, actually the one of the governments. I would say that wasn't Victoria. I'll I'll keep it sort of a bit, sure. yeah, a bit more, yeah. Do you think that that was linked with your social mission as well, or just the fact that you were delivering a good product? Yeah, I think there's um, a variety of reasons, but we would say that um, during the tendering process, uh, our brand was stacked up with uh, price, quality, availability. 
And when it came down to choosing between a selection of three, four, five different other organizations uh, for this contract, um, they really deeply resonated with their, their social procurement policy, which actually feeds into what we stand for, what our values are, and how we operate as a business, which uh, we, we assume when we won that uh, contract, that is the final almost deciding hurdle that, that separated us from the rest. So um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, awesome. Um, and just a quick clarification question that I've got here. Was it 7 million or 70 million into the hands of partners? 17 actually so right in between so 7 17 70 we're 17 at the moment there you go fabulous yeah. awesome um now thank you has come a long way since it started with just bottled water in plastic bottles can you talk about how the approach to managing your environmental and social impacts has evolved over the years yeah. then? Yeah, totally. I think uh, when we were sort of starting off and we didn't know a lot about businesses, as sort of I alluded to, um, we were all very values led. And so one of the things that really steered every single decision was we have eight core values that, uh, that are, we hope distinct to uh, our brand and who we are and the way that we operate therefore. So um, at the beginning, it was a lot of ad hoc, like a lot of ad hoc decisions with a lot of different managers and leaders in the business um, making decisions on behalf of, we call it our responsible business goals. I think the last few years, we've really tried to systemize it. Um, and some of the outcomes, like you mentioned, was looking at some of the product ranges and going, like we, we actually can't understand and know it all. So how do we involve firstly partners to come in and look at sort of these heat risk maps, like what is our greatest contributors to carbon, waste, water, and then how do we then take actionable steps as a business, not just silo it off into different departments um, to actually have a responsible business strategy, responsible goals, uh, to then therefore establish a framework of decisions where a lot of our um, leaders, managers, really clear on, hey, here's the roadmap here's where we're going and here's how we should actually lead our individual departments and teams in a clear concise manner to uh, dictate hey this is where we should go to or this is where we shouldn't um, and yeah case study would be bottled water we started off as the first product we thought it was incredibly stupid that australia had a 600 million dollar bottled water industry um, and yeah for us it was just like we have you know tap water at a, a very low cost here. So why is that industry? So let's do the Robin Hood thing. Let's kind of take the money from that industry. And at least if it's gonna exist, let's actually just redistribute that to fund water projects. Um, but yeah, I think as we matured and grown and as we sort of set these targets, we just looked at a lot of the research around biodegradability. How do we make the most efficient bottle or the most, uh, we would say, uh, the, the bottle that didn't contribute to landfill, you know, single-use uh, plastic being such an issue that it is, uh, we couldn't find any great alternative for us personally. So we made the step a couple of years ago to actually exit uh, the bottled water industry. And it wasn't because of commercials. Uh, it was purely because of our responsible business goals. And we were really thankful as well that we had expanded to other categories. I just wanted to pull, pull that out there that, um, you know, we had other categories that were growing, um, so it wasn't like, oh, um, we, we didn't shoot ourselves, I would say, in the, in the foot with the commercial, uh, the commercial timing. But yeah, we actually felt it was really important to, to really adhere to the standards, goals and strategy that we had, um, that we had committed to. And if it, may, if it had to be a tough decision that we had to make, then we had to do it.
you know, and that's the beauty of standardizing and um, centralizing a lot of these goals. Yeah. And I think in, in the early on, there was kind of a laundry list, I guess, of um, things that you knew that you needed to address in the business. You know, the, the deeper you got into the business, the more you realized, oh gosh, you know, there's, yeah. um, we're trying to create good on one end, uh, yeah. i.e. the downstream, but let's start looking at where our products are coming from, who the suppliers are, where the resources are coming from. Um, so can you, can you touch a little bit on how you tackled that? Because that can be a little bit overwhelming for a lot of businesses. Yeah, um, we're still, I think I was talking to Sarah last week and we still feel like we're a very small business. So we have around 30 employees for the last you know, 12, 12 years. Um, and I think the first three, four years, um, none of us took wages, you know, so, so we sort of all work part-time, full-time, full-time uh, around this, this idea and business. And it was already really tough as you alluded to in making money and just trying to get a product out there that was picked up, let alone tackle some of the most serious issues that humanity's faced, you know, from like carbon emissions to looking at responsible sourcing, you know? And so like, like you pointed out early on, we make uh, re really great um, decisions and also decisions that we could have made better and could have made faster. Um, we have this saying though, um, continuous improvement is better than delayed perfection. You know, and, and so um, our, our journey has been, okay, how do we get to some of the causes or how do we actually learn and, and, visibil and visibly like scope out some of these issues that we as, yeah, once again, 18, 19, 20 year olds didn't understand fully. And um, our, our probably key learning that we had was we can't do everything on our own. So we involve partners, we involve environmental consultants, we involve people that um, really knew what they were talking about. And we um, we also didn't want to tackle every issue um, and and go into, into that depth. Like at the start, we wanted to be really focused and we wanted to use the limited resource that we had and go, okay, what's the biggest bang for bucks, so to speak, or what's the most impactful change that we can make? And so, yeah, really having a great scope was, was fun, foundational to making decisions on what is the most material, what is our highest risk? And then therefore finding partners and setting uh, projects and setting up teams to actually tackle them and setting a timeline. It all sounds very intuitive, uh, but it'll, I, I think we all understand it's just really surprising when we're all stretch. Our teams are, are just 100% focused on commercial, 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 that simple intuitive steps like this can actually fall outside of our day-to-day. -day. And so, yeah, that, that visibility, involving partners and then setting really great targets, goals, enshrining that within each business operation. I would say that's our biggest learning there. And um, yeah, we're not there yet, definitely, but you can, anyone that's interested can look at um, thankyou.co forward slash sustainability, or if you just go to our website, thankyou.co or thankyou.co, um, you can find out and see all of our different resources or our different goals and uh, our different progress as well. Yeah, brilliant. Um, one more clarification question here from David. Yep. Um, is your product Australian made? I mean, much of it is. Yeah, our personal care range is, um, we have a couple of different other product uh, categories in, in baby as well as uh, we're in book as well that's made overseas, but our predominant flagship uh, product, our personal care range is. Brilliant. 
Okay, um, I will have a couple more questions for you, but also just um, throwing, um, just reminding the audience um, to enter any bigger questions. So like any clarification questions I'm asking as we go. Yeah. Please have a think about any bigger questions that you would like to ask Pete that I can um, throw in at the end. But first I want to ask, um, I know you recently changed your approach to funding projects i.e. the impact side of the business. So what can other small businesses who want to contribute donations, that's that's often um, a kind of a first big approach is, you know, we, yeah. we give 10% of our profits to charity or something like that. Um, how can other small businesses learn from your approach to giving thoughtfully? Yeah, I, I think um, firstly, there's, there's no one size fits all way to give, but uh, a couple of principles and, and learning journeys on the way um, that be more than happy to even unpack at a later, later date in case um, anyone wants to. We've got a bunch of sort of thinking and resources on our website as well that you can geek out and deep, deep dive into it. I'm, I'm personally someone that loves geeking out of things. So um, <laughs> excuse the brevity of this next response, um, but I'll touch on some of the the key lessons that we've learned in, in being a philanthropic giver, especially corporate one. Um, first things first, I think uh, for us, it was just listening. And, and I like wrote in my notes, like, listen, listen, listen. And what that means and what that looks like is uh, we're, we're in it for one reason, and that's looking at serving vulnerable and low-income communities with the best long-lasting solutions. Sometimes I think for us, we've seen in sort of the philanthropic giving world that it's a bit of that but it's a bit of hey let's make sure that our brand is promoted or leveraged um and, and for us uh, the way to counter counteract that is looking at just listening listening to our partners listening to our uh, other other funders or other um, businesses who have you know maybe done the homework in the past as well as listen to the needs of the community to therefore craft their strategy um i think may maybe being really motivated and moved by seeing a lot of a need and justice, we can immediately go, gosh, we need to act, you know, and sometimes we miss uh, actually what, it, what will actually make a difference, you know, what are the systems that need to be changed or what's the root causes, you know, what are things that no one is funding that should be funded and um, I think an excellent case study is at the moment, uh, we, we fund water projects and, and sanitation projects around the world, but at the moment in rural um, sub-Saharan Africa, 40% of all hand pumps, so, so wells are broken at any given time, you know, that is a shocking stat. And it's, it's no, you know, it, it's, it's nothing that is, uh, oh my gosh, like, why is this happening? It's all been well documented. It's because funders don't like funding things that are outside the tangible or things that don't look like a well, you know, funders don't really like funding capacity building activities, you know, how do you strengthen up um, water municipal authorities, you know, how do you strengthen up tariff systems? How do you strengthen up um, collection of, you know, water user fees as well that we pay in Australia as well? And ultimately, you know, charities will, will uh, charities can't keep sustaining itself. So what's the scalable like solution and what's the root causes behind it? So when we started listening, you know, instead of just finding more hardware, more tabs, more things that look really tangible, you know, we go, okay, what's the root causes to make sure that that 40% actually goes down to zero. And so that's our, one of the first key learnings and just a couple quick ones as well. Um, look for partners, you know, don't, don't try and do it all on your own. Partners are local, they're trustworthy. And ultimately actually the hardest thing about uh, looking at tackling injustice and poverty isn't actually building more things, it's actually behavior change. 
that's the hardest thing you know and so that comes with people who are trustworthy who have great reputation within community who can then lead these programs and lead these great outcomes uh another thing is with partners you know look for partners who are really serious about measurement you know um a lot of a lot of partners really talk a good game about just uh, looking at how many activities they've run or you know how many things they've built but look for partners who um, are really serious about capturing we call it impact or outcomes which is at the end of the day what these what did these what did these activities actually accomplish you know and for us we look at a whole bunch of things like reducing um, maternal deaths or reducing neonatal deaths or looking at increasing someone's income or increasing the livelihoods and production. So look at that sort of outcome versus the activities. Um, and then probably lastly for us, it's a big one and you can read all about it on, on our website as well, but set our partners up to win, you know, make sure that we're funding things that um, they really need, not things that we find really understandable. So they could need research, you know, they could need a lot of things that aren't glamorous, but um, you know, they're, they're the experts. And so when you find these great partners, trust them and, and fund them um, in, in a way that really elevates them and amplifies the impact. Amazing. So I guess the sort of lessons perhaps for a small business who isn't necessarily getting um, down and dirty um, out there in the field, but just looking for a great charity to support. It sounds like two of the key things are partners who are, or charities who are serious about measuring their impact and outcomes. Mm -hmm. and those who are talking about behavior change and capacity building as well as just the number of wells built or something like yeah. that yeah yeah and undoubtedly um there will also be local partners people that know the communities that can actually find out the root causes um and therefore yeah administer the right types of solutions as well this is all very brief uh apologies if you know this opens up a lot more discussion points as well but yeah all of our thinking once again is on our website yeah exactly and and that is that actually leads into my next question because i think that thank you has always been radically transparent i guess especially for for a small business the amount of information that you do share on your website certainly um, originally there was the track your impact platform where you could actually see the individual projects happening overseas you've moved away from that for good reason, because that was kind of getting in the way of actually creating the impact. But um, also you've got the impact reporting and you do measure your own impact in the same way that you were just saying with local partners, um, but also in your annual letter, which I have, I think that you really stand out to me in terms of how um, almost vulnerable the annual letter can be in terms of being very brutally honest about what yeah. has not been working at thank yeah. you and the lessons that you've learned each year and what you're going to focus on to improve the next year so what would you say to other small businesses which are very frequently from ones that i've spoken to and large corporates as well actually afraid of being too open especially when they feel, oh, but we're not perfect yet. We can't talk about these things until we're perfect. Yeah, um, I, I think it, it's funny that we started as really young, young, young people that didn't really know about what the right, you know, risk appetite should be for running a business. Like, like I think there's some things that as a result, we've, we've really over-indexed with and there's other silly mistakes that we have to learn from, right? But I think one thing that we're really proud of is um, being really true to our values. Uh, and really true to who we are 
and one of the expressions of that um, is actually um, communication in an authentic manner. And one of the key things I think when we're starting out and even today is that maybe this resonates with everyone in the room, um, but it's this sense of like when everyone in your friends and family relationships on you know, immediate social circle um, come to a barbecue or sort of some, some social event, they're always asking like, okay, how's things going? And for us, you know, as a human representing our organization, uh, if we were to lead off with the most PRable things, the, the highlights and the glamour and the glitz, and then, you know, throw in something that hasn't worked, people see straight through that, you know, and you might get an eye roll here, maybe it's internal, you might get people just switching off as well, because they're like, this, like, this person does not understand, like, what is going on? I feel like I'm just getting scammed. Um, it's too good to be true. So we actually had a lot of these barbecue-like conversations on weekend chats where we were like, the way we communicated and updated our friends and family should be the way that we actually take our consumers on this journey. So um, you can see some of the expressions, but we would love to take, uh, we have taken our consumers every year on, hey, here's a recap, here's what's happening, here's what's not working. And a lot of people were really surprised, very surprised from um, looking at our water bottle exit to looking at how some of the categories we're in, like baby didn't fire at all, or our expansion, you know, to New Zealand had a lot of hiccups and we wrote it all. And um, I think the, co the consumer customer loyalty rates that we talked about a bit earlier, as well as the solace rates, um, I definitely think they're correlated where people really buy into an authentic expression and brand because they understand that no one's perfect, but they'll buy into someone that's willing to be honest and, and share, hey, starting a business with, a, with an end goal, which everyone buys into, is really hard and difficult. So just take me on the journey, update me. And that's sort of been our philosophy. Um, one, one last thing I'll add is, being authentic doesn't mean oversharing as well um, as, as small businesses. Uh, you know, we're not sharing every single sensitive commercial information and we call that authenticity. No, no, no. Um, we like anyone, we, we're stewards of the brand, you know, um, but we also think in most cases, like maybe you alluded to Sarah, um, many businesses organizations are probably staying on that far end of the spectrum, which is let's not share anything or let's not share failures or when we do, Let's share it when we have an actual like uh, when, when we've actually seen a turnaround and then we'll share like the, the kind of failures as well. Um, and for us, you know, I think um, something that's one customer loyalty has been, hey, let's take customers on a really authentic journey. We don't know it yet. You know, maybe it's an expression of uh, our youth as well. But um, yeah, we'll love to keep everyone updated. And um, as a result of that, a lot of people have, have really resonated deeply, including business owners of just going, thank you so much for sharing and taking the time out to uh, acknowledge that entrepreneurship is really hard and really tough. Definitely. And it's interesting because, you know, we talk about the trust epidemic that, you know, mm. people around the world in developed and developing countries, even though those words are um, no longer actually accurate, but mm. the people are not trusting governments, are not trusting businesses, are not trusting media. And that kind of radical authenticity, I think, is what people are looking for is, you know, yeah. this is a business that I really can believe in. And interestingly, I, I wonder, um, I, I imagine that probably um, made a big difference when, for example, I know in, I think it was 2018, there was a couple of um, media um, things in, in the news saying, oh, 
you know, impact hasn't actually, sorry, thank you hasn't actually contributed as much as we would expect. Um, you know, they have all these overheads and all these kinds of things. And yet I don't think that that really seems to um, impact the perception of, of the company like that, that really passed very quickly. Maybe you could touch on that. Yeah, I think for us, uh, we're a social enterprise and a, and a business as well. And so I think a lot of people will compare us to a charity. Um, and when the article was published, I think the writer had the exact intention of, oh, hang on a minute, like you're investing so much into this, but you're only getting this like output. Like it should be the other way around where charity is, hey, here's like limited investment in let's say the business and here's how much gets spent there but for us it's a totally different model and it was actually really surprising to see a lot of consumers that you know we, we, we don't know about actually educate so when you see the comment section especially on LinkedIn as well they jumped into that for us and we're like well that's phenomenal um, we had some really funny comments that was written that I'm sure if you, you have a read through some of them, um, it was almost like internally we're like, yes, like they get it, like they understand through it. Um, and we couldn't have responded in that way because it would sound so rude, but we're like, yeah, these, these guys, these guys get it. And so um, for us, once again, it's um, being really open and really transparent with our consumers on, okay, how's our business structured? Like what exactly is a social enterprise? Um, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses as well? And taking our, our consumers on that journey and being upfront actually then as an expression of that, there's been such great consumer out, outpouring whenever there is, um, you know, cr critique that we would say is not helpful um, and, and we really believe in, in critique and feedback as well. Um, but when it comes down to sort of, you know, let's cause controversy for the straight sake of controversy and pull out facts just totally out of context, um, our consumers have come in and, and really bad it for us. And that's been phenomenal to see. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that loyalty really um, comes in handy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So. To wrap up my questions before I move on to um, what has been put in the chat box. Yeah. What is your one top piece of advice for other businesses looking to improve their contribution this year? Yeah, I think um, maybe alluding to um, the responsible business journey that we've been on, um, that, that quote with me, uh, sorry, the quote I shared uh, really resonated with me at that time that I first heard it, but it's, um, continuous improvement is always better than delayed perfection. So I think we all have the opportunity to make decisions which um, are really key and, contrib and contributory to um, a betterment of, the, of a world that we all want to see and live in. And um, the challenge for small business owners is how do we either find people that can uh, help us on this journey or how do we make margin and time within our busy diaries to look at okay, this isn't an ad hoc thing that is um, outside of our, our normal modus of operandi. No, no, this is really crucial. And, um, and how do we actually take steps to enshrine some of these goals into our overall business strategy? How do we actually, um, you know, take some time to look at, hey, we've got this amount of resource, what's going to be the biggest bang for buck? And actually solving some of this and that's looking at quantifying and looking at frameworks of hey like what is the environmental goal that our organization can actually play a bigger role in for us it's three it's carbon it's waste it's water um and so yeah i mean as a result of the last few years of work we're a carbon neutral certified organization um inclusive of not just our hq but we've also calculated uh within our 
uh, with our products as well. So um, it's kind of small, small steps that actually equate to those bigger sort of um, outcomes as well. And it has to start somewhere, hey, so um, it, it's, it's taken a lot of little small steps to get to this one outcome. Um, we've got a lot more steps to go on that. So um, yeah, that encouragement is delayed. Sorry, uh, continuous improvement's always better, better than delayed perfection. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Now we've had quite a few more um, questions jump in. So I'm gonna start with, um, if you can just quickly answer this one. Um, yeah. The, um, the packaging in the personal care range um, is how much of that is recycled? Um, at the moment, we've got the we've we've got a couple of statistics. We have joined the APCO, so the 2025 targets on making sure that we're committing to 50%. Um, at the moment, some of our we've got a range of different products where, uh, like plastic free, has about 30 to 50% of uh, post consumer waste or recycled materials our books have a percentage of that but we'll need to go back and we're in the process of actually doing our APCO report um, shout out to anyone that is part of the Australian Packaging Covenant at the moment in, the, in this room as well but we'll get a more definitive answer which we'll actually we'll be posting up on our website um, every year we have to post our, our, our goals so at the moment we're in the process of it I'd love to give you a definitive percentage but I'm afraid that it might actually be outdated so um, keep up to date with our with our website we've got a whole bunch of products that do Whole bunch of products that don't so um we'll, we'll actually get you a statistics um an actual sorry stat about that in the coming months when we actually submit our report i'm pretty sure in april awesome okay um all right i'm gonna try to squeeze in two more questions um how do you think consumers understanding or prioritizing of price social impact and environmental benefit is going to change in yeah. the next three years or so yeah we, we think at the moment, like realistically, price is one of the biggest purchase drivers. Um, undoubtedly, uh, consumer uh, that is looking for, and this is within our own industry, so it's within grocery. So your big retailers, um, they're looking for a price and values driven proposition. Um, I think though, um, in the next few years as a result of even COVID and as a result of everyone going through a really shared experience, as well as probably the fallout as we're reading on the news on um, the inequity maybe of vaccine dis distribution and looking at how low-income countries are going to get that last in the next you know, three, four, five years as compared to more high-income countries. Um, there's going to be more consumer awareness. My optimistic side would be it's going to make us as, a, as humanity a lot more compassionate, a lot more empathetic because we've all gone through, gosh, we know what lockdowns feel like. We look at the news and we see, you know, hospitals being full, beds being full in different countries, thankfully not in Australia, but in different countries as well. And there's this shared consciousness on going, gosh, um, this experience that we actually know a bit about is happening in other regions and they're having it a lot worse. Um, in, in our heads, that means there's more propensity and motivation to actually use you know, a purchase to, um, to fund some of these amazing life-saving work that's happening overseas. Um, that, that is my optimistic outlook for, uh, for the next two years on saying that price purchase driver might actually be um, kind of equated to a social values mission purchase driver as well. And that's not even uh, looking at environmentally as well, where I think Aussies, where there's a lot of stats growing that we're becoming more and more environmentally conscious, which is amazing. And so I would say, yeah, at the moment, price is still the leading purchase driver. 
socially, I think it's going to keep growing and influence and then environmentally as well, it's going to be equating to, um, I, yeah, I, my optimistic side is hopefully they'll all be considered equally. Um, probably my realistic side is price will still be the main, the, the, the more, the more pressing driver West, but socially will be climbing up as well. So yeah, that's my read on that. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I agree with so much of that. Um, sorry, just trying to let someone into the room quickly. Um, now, one more question. Um, where was it? In terms of measuring impact and certifying your impact, did you make an explicit decision not to become a B Corp? Yeah, for, for us, um, we are looking at, and, and if you've been following Thank You's journey in the last actually six months, uh, one of our growth strategy is looking at a licensed partner deal. Uh, some of the big multinationals, they get a really bad rap, you know, like Unilever, Procter & Gamble, but they're actually leading in the areas of responsible business goals um, for us to expand, grow significantly, grow globally. Um, it's been a really tough you know business journey to get where we are we still have a lot of really tough decisions still to go and uh, for us if we're to continue on this journey on our own without involving a licensed partner to take you know our products overseas and distribute it and sell it it might take us 20 30 40 years to get to the scale that even um, our, our partners really need in terms of funding so yeah we had this idea in six six months ago where we we had a licensed partner deal um, that we're approaching some of the biggest multinationals, you know, that's in process of being talked about and, and worked through at the moment, uh, where our entire supply chain as a result of this may actually change. And so uh, from a B Corp perspective, we, we actually really resonate and we've had lots of conversations, but uh, our supply chain and the entire, I'll say, upstream um, value value system change will change in the next six to 12 months significantly. And so um, for us, you know, we've, sort of gone through the UNGC. I can see a couple of people in the room there as well. We've become members. We've set goals from the APCO targets as well. And we've done a few steps on our own and we would love to kind of revisit the B Corp once this model has fully changed and transitioned into that, into that uh, yeah, licensee model or licensor model as well. Um, uh, a lot of questions that might open up with as well. Um, we've got, once again, all the information about what this deal actually entails. You know, we're not sort of selling out, we're not giving away our entire master brand, but it's just a distribution model, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, awesome. Um, all right, let's see if we can quickly answer the last question, which is what's been your most impactful implementation partner to date and how did you come across them? It's like choosing your favorite child. I've got to be really, uh, yeah, I think they all do incredible work. So apologies for the really politically correct answer. Um, but actually they all, there's 17 at the moment that we have. There's a lot of different focus areas from human, humanitarian crisis and agencies. So we've got partners working in Syria, partners working in Yemen as well. Very, very, um, I'll say tough, tough situations um, to be an understated. Um, way of, of viewing it but yeah very tough situations there we've got other amazing partners from parts of east asia to east and west africa as well all the way to central and south america um, they're all tackling a bunch of amazing work as well um, so looking at things things like health maternal health um, things like livelihoods education um, some of the, the core building blocks but doing it in a way once again that is sustainable locally involved but also looking at root causes 
um, and they're so serious about measurement. So fortunately, I can't um, actually pick a favorite, but you can view them all. We're, we're pretty transparent as well with the types of grants that we give, as well as the type of impact indicators that we give. So um, I feel like a broken record once again, but our website has it all. Um, you can go as deep as you want to as well on each different part to find out their particular areas of strength. And um, yeah, we're really excited about what the next 12 months will be for our partners. Yeah, fabulous. Okay, um, so just quick recap, was there any um, key resources you mentioned, um, thankyou.co slash sustainability, which I will just pop into the chat right now if anyone wants to um, check that out. Um, and I'll also copy that resource into the Facebook group. Um, once you guys join in there, then you can look at all of the resources. Is there anything else that, um, any other way that people can continue the conversation with you, possibly following you or thank you on social media or any other great resources they can check out? Yeah, so I'll just, um, the URL for the sustainability is actually thankyou.co forward slash about forward slash sustainability. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, just, just a we're finding like there's a 404 that, that pops up there um, but yeah I, I would say if you wanted to look at um, our, our impact model our theory of change um, the way that we give some of the lessons there I know a lot of small business partners really want to give back um, we have basically shared all of our learnings we've wrote a pretty personal uh, letter in the last six months about what's really worked and what hasn't it's a bit of a long longer read but we really want to be honest so that's there um, everything to do with sustainability is also on that link that you copied and then um, I, I feel like just just maybe as, as a wrap-up conversation or wrap-up point um, yeah like <laughs> I, I feel like if, if we had to redo our journey over again, uh, it sounds a bit crazy, but we wouldn't have swapped some of the um, obstacles. We've actually seen obstacles, especially within just starting a business, just just being commercially profitable. Like that 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 one sort of desire for us has been really challenging and really tough. But it's through those really tough. Um, it sounds really cliched, but I can think of like seven, eight different case studies where those obstacles of you know having really low resources has actually propelled us to innovate and um, do things which have been really different uh, within the FMCG industry, but it's got uh, far above uh, results that we could even have hope for as well. So um, like look, looking at these obstacles as, as almost opportunities to innovate has been our mantra, uh, which, which has been, yeah, resource constraints. Like for us, it's always been resource constraints on time and money, but how do we actually then you know, learn from them and say, cool, if it's time, maybe we need to focus on better things. If it's money, maybe there's a way that we can get the same outcomes. For example, advertising, marketing that, you know, other competitors spend millions of dollars. Maybe we can have the same outcome if we do it a bit differently as well. And so um, there's so much to unpack. We've, I think there's a book that we've, that our co-founder has written as well. It's called Chapter One. You can also check it out on our website, but we've listed a lot of the counterintuitive ways that we've really thought about business um, and business, especially with starting up with about 500 bucks between our co-founders. So it's not like we, we were pumped full of, you know, your, uh, uh, your tech companies like IPOs and stuff like that. Okay. We, yeah, we started with that. And I um, mean, to date, we haven't Poor got any amounts of investors. Sorry. Poor uni students. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> some some of us were university students, some of us weren't, so there you go. Amazing. All right, thank you so much for your time, Pete, and thank you to everyone else who's joined us. Um, please join in the Facebook group to continue the conversation. And um, yeah, check out the, the links that we posted in here to learn more about thank you and to yeah follow what's going on there. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Thank Thanks you. for listening. Bye. Cheers.